to Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. This is episode 188, When a Baby Dies. Even the title is hard to to speak about, but it's part of life. Life in this fallen world. Life in this world where... We, as those who have personal relationships with Jesus Christ, know that this is not our home. One of these days, we're going to go to a place where there are no more tears. And there are no more tears because there won't be any need for tears. Because there will not be pain. But in this life, one of the deepest forms of pain is dealing with the death of a loved one. And from what I have observed in my personal life, but especially in my professional life, traditionally one of the most difficult deaths to deal with is the death of a child. Some of you do not know, but I've been working for hospice now about 19 years. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God called me to this profession. I am thankful for the opportunities that I've had. But on days where I am walking alongside a family whose infant or baby or child has died. It brings about a different level of grief inside my own heart as I was mentally and emotionally preparing to hit the switch on this podcast today. I was thinking about the first funeral of a baby that I went to as a hospice bereavement coordinator. I went with one of our nurses, and it was a little baby girl. And I remember walking up to the little pink casket and just mentally, emotionally preparing myself because I was there specifically to be an encouragement for my nurse because she had gotten quite close to the mother and to the child. And the most vivid of images that I will never, ever, ever forget is the funeral home was next door to the mausoleum. And most of us are used to seeing pallbearers when you have a casket. And I look up to see the funeral director pick up the pink casket in his hands and carry the casket in front of the processional over to the mausoleum. Something I'll never, ever, ever forget. It's one of those losses that 
changes families forever. And today we talk about the death of a child in the life of David. And for this week, we're going to continue to call her Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Some of you have been with me for quite some time, and I thank you for hanging in here. We have been walking through the life of King David, and for the most part, whether it was before he became king or since he became king, we have been celebrating him. We've been celebrating his courage. We've been celebrating his leadership. But we haven't been celebrating for the last three weeks because... We have seen pride, that evil that takes down not only many leaders, but takes down so many of us. He got so puffed up on pride and the power that he thought was in his hands that he called for one of his soldiers' wives, his neighbor, and said, told his servants, go get her. And the powerful Israelite king lay with Uriah's wife, and Bathsheba became pregnant. And then David abused his power, trying to get Uriah to go to his house so it would look like it was his baby. So then the king's shame would not come out. And that wasn't what happened because Uriah was an honorable man. And David then had Uriah killed. And then we talked about for the last two weeks, we've talked about the prophet Nathan being sent to David because for at least nine months, David is walking around and is not humble. He is not repenting of the multitude of sins that he committed against God and against others. And God sends the prophet Nathan and calls him down on it. Does, uses a story that pulls at King David's heartstrings And David is ready to clobber this person who has stolen this one man's poor little lamb. And then Nathan in verse 7 of 2 Samuel 12 says, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then last week, we focused totally on verse 13, and that is, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. And we pick up with verse 14. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord. And I looked at this in multiple translations. And the closest translation possible is contempt for the Lord. Uh, or the word of the Lord. The ESV has utterly scorned the Lord. It says, by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. <laughs> Excuse me. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. Verse 21, his advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now the child is dead and you've stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. And so next week we will go over verses 24 and 25. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to pull out of it. There's quite a few things in those two little verses. But for this week, our focal verse is verse 23. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. And I was thinking about two different young couples that I encountered quite a few years ago. Each of them had a child die. So the first one, I do not remember the circumstances leading up to the death of the child. I cannot remember if they knew before the child was born that the child was going to be sick. I can't remember those details. But what I do remember is when that child died, this family who had been extremely faith-filled appeared to be very committed to each other. They went their separate ways. And that made such the impression upon me. The grief of parents can draw them to each other. They can, can draw them to the Lord. It can also drive a wedge between them. But I saw another young couple around the same age who they knew before their baby was born that their baby was not going to live in this world for a long time. They knew that. And the situation was so very different, though, that the child lived about 17 days. And both parents were at the child's side making memories soaking in every moment of that child's life. 
And when the child died, yes, they were sad. No, no question about that. But their faith in God grew and their relationship to each other persevered. Death of a child changes people. As I have thought over the years of the many babies and families that have been through this type of loss, it just so appears to me that when a child is given very limited number of days by the Lord, because we know from Psalm 139 that the Lord numbers our days. So when the Lord has given a limited number of days, that child comes in and makes a world of difference in what would be considered to us almost in the blink of an eye. And I've mentioned to people so often that there are people who live a hundred years and do not make the eternal impact on lives as some tiny babies have made in their very, very short life. This side of heaven, there's not one of us that's going to be able to answer the question fully. Why do babies die? Why does God allow babies to die? They're innocent. Why does God allow babies to die? Like, that's not even the right question because it's, it's not going to be answered. But God ordains our days. The David's grief response. So do you notice that we don't get to see Bathsheba's grief response? And that will be one of those bazillion questions I have in heaven is, is what did her grief look like? Because her husband has died. Again, I still want to know, did she know that David had him killed? And, and now her son has died. Bathsheba and the grief of a mother. But we, we see about the grief of a father and we see that David, God got hold of David's heart when he sent the prophet Nathan. And we read last week Psalm 51 and the depths of David's sorrow regarding his choices. And we see here that this man after God's own heart was pursuing God. I was reading a commentary earlier and the person was saying, you know, as far away from God as David had been, this time of begging for the life of his son and fasting and praying was good for David because he needed to get back in touch with his heavenly father. And when he is told that his son has died, he gets up and goes about his business and he worships the Lord. That is one of those moments of testimony that for some people is just, it does not make any sense. 
how in the world does anybody worship a God who doesn't allow babies to live? But David believed in the sovereignty of his God. And he was going to worship him whether God chose to answer his prayer for mercy for his son or he chose to take this child as he had said he would. Some people would think, well, this child shouldn't be punished for the sin of his father. I don't think this child was punished for the sin of his father. I think that David was punished for his sin in many, many, many ways. But if Psalm 139 is correct, which I believe with all my heart it is, and it was written by David, that God does number our days. God knew exactly how many days he was going to give this little one. And this little one made a difference and continues to make a difference today. Many people have taken what David said in verse 23 and used this to create an entire theology regarding babies and heaven. Now, again, I'm going to read this verse again, and I'm going to read it in the ESV. So in the NLT, it says, But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. And the ESV says, But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And I have heard it many times preached that this right here provides hope for parents that if they have a relationship with God, that they will see their child again. Because from what we see of what David said, he believes that his child has gone to be with God. And I'm not arguing with that. I'm, I'm not. That's not, not the purpose. But I want us to flesh it out a little bit more because this is not a statement of theology. That is not what we're seeing here. Uh, it's not that David is making this declaration that this is, this, this is all babies who die go to heaven. So how do we, from Scripture deal with the question of do all babies go to heaven? Do only some go to heaven? Do only those baptized go to heaven? What is the answer to that? And I know that I am not the scholar to answer all of those questions, but I did do some research earlier today and I came upon a particular article by two very respected men from my particular faith tradition. And the article is entitled, The Salvation of the Little Ones, Do Infants Who Die Go to Heaven? And the information is in the show notes because I'm not going to read the entire article to you by any stretch of the imagination. 
few years ago, I was at the funeral of a little child who had died as a result of an accident and the condition that happened as a result. I guess that's the best way I ever figured out to, to, uh, to understand. But the clergy that conducted the funeral, I just wanted to scream because the hope that he was giving to the family was not biblical hope. And if hope is not found in God's word, I, I don't believe that is true hope. And that's one of the things that is brought out in this article by Moeller and Aiken is the many different variations on this question over the years of Christendom. And the part that I really like and that I am really going to be chewing on for quite some time is this section. So I'm going to read this section to you. It says, what then is our basis for claiming that all who die in infancy are among the elect? First, the Bible teaches that we are to be judged on the basis of our deeds committed in the body. And so this comes from 2 Corinthians 5.10. And this is on a graphic in your show notes as well. For we all must stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in our earth, in this earthly body. And I go back to what they were saying. Point two, that is, we will face the judgment seat of Christ and be judged not on the basis of original sin, but for our sins committed during our own lifetimes. Each will answer according to what he has done. Point three, and not for the sin of Adam. So the condensed version of that, and there is much more information on this in the article, and I highly suggest going to this article. But what they're saying is we are born with original sin that came through the line of Adam. You know, some people just want to talk about the, the fact that babies are innocent. And they are innocent of their own choices because they are not able to make the choices between sinful behavior and godly behavior. That's true. But leave a baby to his, own, his or her own devices and are they going to choose good? They're not. Because we are born with a sin nature. So if we're all born with a sin nature, that makes this question challenging to say the least and infant baptism so there are some that believe that if an infant has been baptized been sprinkled with water that that is what matters find that for me in god's word because i don't see it there at all none whatsoever and Moeller and Aiken address that in their text as well. 
the other part of the story is something that I had heard talked about before and I, I really like where they're going with the thought process. So this is toward the end of their text. It says, one biblical text is particularly helpful at this point because talking about have those who die in infancy committed such sins in the body? We believe not one biblical text is particularly helpful at this point. After the children of Israel have rebelled against God in the wilderness, God sentenced that generation to die in the wilderness after 40 years of wandering. Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers. But this was not all. God specifically exempted young children and infants from this sentence and even explained why he did so. Moreover, your little ones who said, you, who, who you said would become prey, your sons who this day have no knowledge of good and evil, shall enter there, and I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. So these babies, these young children, do not have the ability to judge between good and evil. And so it would appear from multiple texts in Scripture that we will, if we have a relationship with God, because if anybody's listening to the sound of my voice, they have the ability to judge between good and evil, that we will see the infants and the children of our lives again in heaven. That's all a mouthful. I do suggest going back to that article, looking it over, doing your own research, but make sure it's biblical research. Make sure it's not somebody who is taking some tradition or just trying to spout false hope. That's what that clergy years ago was doing. Oh, and babies and angels. Now, I hadn't planned to talk about this, but like, I've got to. So how many times that was, that was what that clergy was talking about. He was talking about that baby becoming an angel. That is absolutely not. Is it not only is it not in scripture, it is flat contrary to scripture. Look in the book of Hebrews as to the nature of an angel versus a human being. Christ died for human beings so that we can spend eternity with God, not so that we can become a different creature. So the book of Hebrews, and here after we get off the podcast, I may look up a few of these verses because I intentionally started this pretty much just from square one. Because I wanted to see where God led. I didn't even make up the weekly assignment feature. It is blank in front of me at the moment. Because I wanted to see where God moved my heart to. Before I kind of marked the spot. Sometimes I start these podcasts and I know where I feel like God is going to drive me. This was not the case. And so, yeah, I'll provide a few extra scriptures to look up in the additional 
resources section below in the show notes. So what we got for a weekly assignment feature? What do you think it should be? One of the things that God brought to mind was to pray for those you know who are pregnant. I have two young ladies of whom I'm very fond who are pregnant right at this time. And just take a moment to thank God for the babies that are growing inside of them. Maybe the weekly assignment feature could be to pray for parents who've had children die. You may know somebody specifically and you may say, well, that was a long time ago. I don't care if it was, quote, a long time ago. That loss is going to go with them for the rest of their life. They may very well, when other children are graduating from college that would have been the same age, they may be thinking about their baby, what he would have looked like, or what she would have wanted to do with her life. You hear me typing. There's a book that I had prescribed for parents who've had children die. It talks a lot about infant and child death, but it also applies to those who've had children die later on in life as well. But the name of the book is called The Worst Loss, How Families Heal from the Death of a Child. And that could not be more appropriate for today's topic. I thank you for tuning in. This is a tough one, but it's where we were in scripture and I don't want to avoid it. I want to go straight into it. So again, in the show notes, you've got the link to the article by Dr. Moeller and Dr. Aiken. You've got information down below of how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got a link at the bottom to the hidden episodes of the podcast. And if you'd like to reach out to me, I know this is just such a such a topic. Uh, if you have questions, concerns, comments, if you'd reach out to me at my email, encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com, you can reach out on the Facebook page, Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus, or the Instagram page by the same name. So thank you for tuning in. And as we close out, and as I ponder on the weekly assignment feature, which will be in the show notes. I will have centered on that by the time it posts. But let me just stop. And let me just pray for each of us. Dear God, death of children for us adults or for even young people can rock our worlds. Dear God, it does not make any sense to us as human beings. But dear God, we're never going to understand this side of heaven, what you are doing. But I hold on to the fact that you number our days. And if you provide a child 11 days here on this earth, you have had a purpose for that child and you have accomplished that purpose. And they are safely home with you. And I thank you, God. I thank you that from what I can see from the biblical text, these babies are with you. And I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. 
I pray for each family who has had a child die, whether it was last week or it was 35 years ago. I pray, dear God, for their hearts. I pray that you would continue to work in them and continue to strengthen them and to continue to grow them to you. As you know, I have been blessed to know some of those special parents whose babies are deposited with you, but as a result of the impact of that child, they are impacting others on a daily basis. I thank you so very much. I thank you that you do comfort others, comfort us in our troubles so that we ourselves can comfort others with the same comfort that we've received. I pray for your comfort to be with these parents and grandparents. Dear God, this story of David, the choices David made and the disastrous consequences when it came to his family life. But I thank you that we are assured that you took that little baby home. And one of these days we can meet that little guy. I thank you so much, dear God, for your grace, your mercy, and the fact that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Because what a mess this world would be in if it were up to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Please join me next week as we look at the birth of Solomon. And we just begin to, to think on how God can help us to begin again. After loss. After repentance. We thank God that he is the God of second chances. Talk with you next week. And remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm -hmm.